Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Most um, exciting series in the preparation, like, uh, I'm not talking correctly, but like as, pre- as we were preparing for it, you know, we got really excited because I think that there's something in this um, series that God wants to do for each and every person, and, and it leads up all the way to the anointing service, and the anointing service is such an important uh, annual event that we hold as a church where we get to pray for every person. We, we seek after God uh, for a word from God for each and every single person, and so we really hope that you're going to make the time to be there, uh, but in the lead up for it, there's just some stuff that we want to cover, laying a foundation uh, for what God wants to do. And the reason why we're calling it Gifted is because this is uh, probably one of the biggest issues that uh, Beck and I face as pastors uh, when, when we catch up with people. There's so many people, in fact, probably most people would either say something along the lines of, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. I don't know what's next. Or they will say something like, I don't know what I'm good at. It's like, I'm, I'm probably good for nothing. Uh, I, I really don't know what this is all about. And, and the thing about people saying that is that we've started to realize as well that when a person doesn't know what they're meant to be doing with their lives, don't know what God has placed in their lives, it somehow leads to this sense of insecurity and this sense of uh, a lack in their lives, a lack of significance. Because that one thing that I've noticed about our culture is that we place a heavy emphasis on what people do. So, for example, if you go to a, uh, a birthday party and you are feeling particularly social and at the buffet table you meet someone uh, that you've never met before and striking up a conversation, what is one of the first few questions that you ask after you find out? It tends to be, what do you do? If you ever try to get to know a person asking what they do, it's a bit strange, isn't it? It's like it's not wrong. And as a pastor, that is one of those questions that you don't know what you're going to get. When I tell people I'm a pastor, and you might have heard podcasts about pastors where people have uh, done things, but for us, we haven't had anyone ever tell us off or hate on us, but what we always seem to have are people needing to justify themselves to us. So when we say, I'm a pastor, it's like, oh, you're a pastor. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been to church like uh, 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 three months ago. It was, uh, it was really good, and uh, I pray every day, and, and I still love God. And it'll go on and on and on, needing to justify themselves. Why? Because they seem to think what I do as a pastor means something about me, and it tends to mean that I am already judging them. I am God's judge uh, upon this earth. Or it maybe means that I have this special supernatural ability to see directly into their soul and, and to know everything that is going wrong in their lives. Or maybe, I don't know, that they just feel like I'm perfect and they're not. Which that one I can all the other ones, you know, I, I don't have a supernatural power uh, to receive into people's soul. It's the same because I studied psychology and when I tell people I'm studying psychology, one of the responses is like, oh, don't look into my soul. It's like, I don't want to. <laughs> what do you think? Who do you think you are that I want to look into your soul? Anyway, I can't, I can't do that, by the way, in case you were wondering. Um, 
Yeah, I know some people are really confused. Like, you're pastor and psychology. You must know everything that's going through our minds. Like, no. But anyway, people relate what you do to who you are. They relate what you do to your expertise, to the things that you understand, your, your, your knowledge, uh, your skills. And through that, they seem to uh, assume that they know who you are. And there's a problem in that kind of thinking because many of us have not achieved much in our lives. I'll let that sink in. <laughs> many of us have not done anything crazy. Maybe the craziest you've done is jump out of an aeroplane or maybe uh, sit on a roller coaster. I think that's crazy, by the way. For you to actually want to, I, I saw this little thing, it's like, why would you want to be in a place to have fun where everyone is screaming? <laughs> it's ridiculous. You know that fear of falling? It's to help save your life. Why are you activating it? So pretty crazy, but maybe you've done that, but maybe that's the craziest thing that you've done, but it's still not very significant. And there's this thought that if I'm not done anything significant, maybe I'm not that significant. And if I'm not that significant, maybe I don't have much value and maybe I don't have much worth. And that's kind of the thought process that many of us go through. And to be honest, I still have to wrestle with every now and then. You know, when I was a bit younger, I thought that one of the things that I really wanted in my life to achieve was to be one of the youngest pastors or the youngest pastor uh, of, of our movement of the Australian Christian churches. I remember uh, I, we were at a conference and uh, uh, our state president got up the oldest pastor and then got up the youngest pastor. And it was kind of like, we're going to get the oldest and the youngest to pray for everyone. And it was a really cool moment, but for me, it was really like, I want to be that guy. I want to be that young guy because maybe people realize that there must be something that special for someone to say you can be a pastor at age, I don't know, 20 or whatever it was. Unfortunately, when you put those kind of goals in place in your life, you got a very short time frame. And I did not hit it. Now, I'm, uh, you might look at me and you might say, you're, you're a young pastor, Nate. What are you talking about? And, 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 yeah, I understand that I'm part of the younger demographic, but I wasn't as young as I wanted to be. I wasn't that guy that, you know, that there was that picture of significance and value and worth that I attached to it that I didn't get. And I think that many of us, that we, we get these stupid myths and fairy tales into our head. If I do that, then someone's going to recognize me. Then someone is going to know my name. Then someone's going to know who I really am because I feel like I should be special. And until you actually accomplish that special thing, maybe you're not that special. And that's a wrestle that many of us go through in our lives. And that's why I chose um, the story of Gideon to unpack this series because one, God put a few little uh, patterns through the story that I was like, man, this is really cool, so we're going to uh, work through that. But it's also because of who Gideon is. Now, many of us know Gideon as the man who led 300 men to defeat an army of 135,000. We know that that guy is pretty special when you can lead an army of 300 against insurmountable odds and still win. He's pretty special. And moreover, 
more than just being able to lead an army, he was also an incredible man of faith. In Hebrews 11, we call it uh, the Bible's Hall of Fame of uh, Faith. And Gideon's name gets mentioned in there. He has that faith and he has the leadership skills. He is everything that I want to be. But that's not where Gideon started. In fact, Gideon, like you saw in that video, was probably one of the most normal human beings on the face of the planet. In fact, if you read a story, and I, I highly suggest that you do if you want to uh, dig into the series and know where we're going to be going, it's found in Judges chapter 6. And, and the man that you meet in Judges chapter 6 is frankly pathetic. He is a mouse of a man. As you saw in the story, in the video, he was so afraid of the enemy that he was hiding instead of fighting. He was trying to get by. He was just simply trying to survive. He was trying to get by instead of get through. He was normal or maybe even less than normal because there, there probably were people fighting already. There were probably people pushing back against the Midianites. But here we find Gideon in Judges chapter 6 hiding away and trying to keep away from everything that was going on. And it is in that space that God meets with him, sends an angel to him. And in Judges 6 verse 12, we read, The angel of the Lord appeared and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And when we see the circumstances surrounding Gideon's life, we know that God is seeing something that we don't. In fact, I will put forward to you that Gideon is probably one of the worst candidates to be the leader of Israel. There were people that already placed their life on the line. Gideon was not one of them. There were people who were probably speaking out and trying to rally Israel to fight. Gideon was not one of them. But here we have God speaking and saying, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon's response shows how pathetic he is. There's no faith in this man. There's no valor in this man. He has a massive whinge. He said, if God is truly with us, would we be in this situation? Who's this God that you're talking about? Because if he really is God, he would have done something already. And I think that there are many of us that look at ourselves and maybe you're one of them this morning. And there's this sense inside of you that you almost have given up on being someone of significance and of doing something important with yourself because maybe you've tried. Maybe you've seen the consequences of trying. Maybe you've seen what happens when you put your life on the line when you put yourself out there, maybe not really physically, maybe you're not literally trying to uh, uh, save someone physically, but maybe living out the dream and, the, that, uh, and, and what God has placed in your heart, that burden, and, and, and you know that you want to try, but you try it and, and you've been knocked back and you go, man, this is, this is impossible. And, and maybe you're in a space where you're no longer fighting, but you're just hiding. Maybe you're just getting by instead of getting through. Maybe you're in a wine press in a small space. You look at what you have in your hands 
And maybe you're asking yourself, God could never use me. Why would God want to use me? Look at what's going on around me. God's not with me. I'm hoping that today is the day that you have a visitation from God coming to you and say, you mighty person of great courage and of great faith. Because if there's one thing that I know in Gideon's story is that Gideon wasn't anything special. He was less than special in that very moment. But I love that God doesn't choose us depending on our circumstances or on where we are at right now. But instead, God chooses a very interesting method. He chooses us based on His grace. He chooses us based on how He's planned us and created us. Now, one of the things I've held on in my life, I've struggled with insecurity for many years. And one of the things that I, uh, I read one day that just completely, completely changed the way that I approached my identity and who I am is found in Romans eleven twenty nine, And it says, for the gifts and calling of God is irrevocable. Irrevocable simply means that it cannot be taken back. It has got a seal of the king. The seal of the king means that it will be carried out no matter what. And uh, the context of this verse is in Romans 11 where Paul the Apostle wrote this and he said, this is about salvation. The gifts and the, the gift of salvation, the call, the invitation of God to salvation is irrevocable. Salvation is yours no matter what. And, and it's so cool to know that God has placed salvation as a foundation, as an unshakable foundation in our lives. If there's nothing else that we can look to, we know that God's salvation is irrevocable for us. And I was expecting a bit of a cheer for that because you know what? If you don't have salvation, you've got nothing. If you have no salvation, it doesn't matter how good you are, you are still going to be broken. There's still no cheering going on. I was hoping for a little bit. I'm still trying to... <laughs> there we go. That's a bit better. If you're on a podcast, you should have been cheering as well. <laughs> and, but as I looked into this, I recognized that, or as I did a bit of research, I, I found out that the words gift and calling have a second meaning in the Greek or in how the Bible uses it. See, the word gift does mean the grace uh, that's available for salvation, but it also means supernatural empowerment. Supernatural empowerment. And then the word calling means an invitation to salvation. God's calling you to be saved. But it also means a vocation. It means your life's work. And so when you put that together, not only is salvation irrevocable, but God's supernatural empowerment and the life's work that He's called you to is unchangeable. It is irrevocable. It's like a pin can drop in this room right now. But I think you're kind of trying to grasp that. You know, we, we get this mentality that we're the masters of our own destiny and to a huge extent we are. But what kind of destiny are you able to do if you don't know what you were created to do? You know, it doesn't matter whether Gideon was the, um, the, the, the most fearless warrior of faith when he didn't know that that's how God created him to be. 
And in that moment, in that wine press, when he was met by God, God was trying to have this moment of saying, this is what I irrevocably created you to be. This is who you are meant to be. You are meant to be a mighty man of valor. You might not see it. You might not know it. You might not believe it. But that's who you are supposed to be. And that's why when we go through the next four weeks, my hope is that you have an encounter with God that irrevocably lets you know who God had created you to be. The gifts and the call of God is irrevocable. Now, we get to choose what we do with it. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks. But you have to understand that the building blocks of your destiny have already been placed in your life. Whether you cooperate with God is up to you. I'm glad that in Gideon's story, he cooperated and he shows us a pathway of understanding how to live out the life that God had called him to be. And I believe that as that angel met with him, something sparked off on the inside. Like many of you have, been, have encountered that before. When God places and, 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 and uncovers what He has already placed in you, it's like there's a stirring, there's this curiosity, there's this something inside of you that is going, yeah, that makes sense. That's what I'm meant to be doing. You know, there's a few things that I love watching more than seeing a person actually going, you know what, I did that, I got involved with that, and it was like I was meant to be doing that. And, I, and that story goes on and on with many other people. And every single time, it's still such a joy to watch a person stepping into their destiny and their purpose. And for Gideon, it was the same. But for Gideon, there was also still that fear. As he responds to the angel and he says to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. You see, this is something that we have to understand. Without God's presence in our life, the gifts and the calling can remain dormant can remain disengaged. But God has promised Gideon, said, I will be with you, and therefore you will save Israel as is your calling. And I love this because as I look into the Bible, I recognize that the same promise has been made to each and every single one of us. In John 14, 15 to 17, Jesus says this, And I'll ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and in you. Does that sound familiar to what God was promising Gideon? He said, I will be with you. And now Jesus is saying, he actually goes on to say, it is better for me to go because then God will send this helper and he unpacks this helper as the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God living in us. And God fulfilled that in Acts chapter 3, I believe. I might be wrong, 2, 3, day of Pentecost. With an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Peter stands up and he says, we're not drunk. He says, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy that God will pour out His Spirit on all people. 
Everyone has the ability to receive God with us. Everyone has the ability to receive the Holy Spirit. And, and this is the best gift that God has for us. It's not that He's given you a, a, a gift of prophecy and He's given someone else a gift of looking really pretty or, or whatever it is. Because all of us have got gifts. It's not meant to be compared with one another. God says, God's created us to all be individual and unique and to be special to His kingdom. But the thing that stands us apart is that God Himself would choose to dwell with you. That God Himself would choose to live in you and be with you no matter what. We have to understand, church, that if we live lives without understanding or, or seeing that God is with us, the gifts and the calling might always remain disengaged. It might not live up to the fullness of what God is wanting to do. Because God's created us for this amazing partnership with Him. And this is where we're going to be finishing off reasonably soon. But this is step one in the gifted series. This is step one. If you want to live out your destiny and your call, we need to understand how to have God with us. And this is an amazing, amazing passage in Judges 6 verse 17 to the end of that, um, that little passage because something really puzzling to me happens. See, God uh, tells Gideon, you know, you're going to save Israel. Gideon goes, how can I save Israel? God says, I will be with you. And this is the amazing things that you will do. And then Gideon says to God, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in the pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented him. And uh, presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes, put them on this rock, and pour the broth over them. And so Master Chef was created. <laughs> this was the new way of plating. Now, let me just tell you God is not looking for you to take a sausage and to place it on a rock. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to eat it. Well, let's keep reading. I don't know where I went with that. And he did so. The angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand, touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock, consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. To this day it stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abizrites. Now, there's something about this passage that really puzzles me. And this is why it puzzles me, because Gideon was asking for a sign. And he was like, I need to know that this is legit. And as a sign, he gives free food to the person. I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, but if someone gives me free food, I eat it. There isn't no sign from God that's happening over here. 
we're giving you free sausages. It does not mean that you are from this morning. Not everything you say is holy. You know, how is this a sign from God? And moreover, I have this thought, God, you're actually asking a favor of Gideon to lead 300 men to fight against 135,000 people. Surely you can give something to Gideon. Why is it that Gideon is asking for a sign and then gives something to God and is whether God's acceptance that is a sign? That is just a strange concept, isn't it? Do you get what I mean? Like anyone, it's just weird. Like why would this be happening? And then I realized that I was looking at this from Western eyes. I'm looking at this from what do I get out of this? What is it that I can receive in order that I have this confidence, in order that I have this peace to continue on? And when I started to look into the Hebrew culture, the Hebrew culture is very different because they treated God's presence really, really sacredly. Not everyone was given an encounter like Gideon. It, it was before Jesus' time. It was before Jesus opened a way for every person to have a personal relationship with God. And moreover, uh, so what they would have is they would have prophets going around bringing God's word. So Gideon didn't know at that time that this was an angel. He just thought it was a prophet. He thought that was a man of God carrying the word of God to him. And that was special as it is. But what he then did is that he offered hospitality. He offered hospitality because what will happen is that if the prophet sees him as an acceptable person, he will have a meal with him. In Hebrew culture, you do not have a meal with a person you consider an enemy. You do not have a meal with a person that you do not like, you do not want to be in association with. Gideon was saying, if I am to host you, will you accept me? Will you find me acceptable? This is a powerful moment that we have to understand because I believe that this is the way that God still wants to work. We know that we are acceptable when we offer God hospitality. You know, when Gideon offered this hospitality to what he thought was a prophet, he saw something, a miracle happen that helped him to see that it wasn't just a prophet. He called it the angel of the Lord. Now, Bible scholars tell us that this angel of the Lord is actually Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. This was Jesus himself, pre-incarnate Jesus. He wasn't uh, living on earth as a human being at that point in time or had done so. This was Jesus accomplishing the work of God by coming to meet with Gideon. It was only through his act of hospitality that Gideon found out that he was actually hosting God. It was only because Gideon was willing to take a step out and say, this is what I have to offer for you right now. I want to host you that he realized God was truly living. If we can get the band up this morning, I hope that you are starting to see something like click together for you as it did for me because the question that I think we should then have is how do I host God's presence? The question isn't am I gifted? The question isn't, does God see me as significant? 
Those are dud questions. It's easy to answer. Yes, you're significant. Yes, you're special. God loves you. The question that we have today is how do I host God's presence? Forgetting it was food. And for many people, we understand that food is a great way to host people, but we don't get to offer food to God. It's not like we're going to be finding some rock and starting a fire and burning some hot dogs after because that's not how we host God's presence. So how do we host God's presence? And the answer is worship. The answer is worship. And really, worship is massive. Worship is about us laying our lives down for God, is seeing that everything that I do is an act of worship. And I do, the, the Bible teaches us this. It says that, let every breath that I have praise the Lord. And it goes on to say, do everything as you would to the Lord. It is an act of worship. Worship is about everything that we do, saying, God, I'm placing you at the center of it. And that's something that you can explore and you can dive into. But this morning and this week, as, as, as we are preparing ourselves uh, over, uh, over this series, God placed on my heart that we need to understand how to worship through song and through being together as a church as well. You know, there's something special about a church coming together and worshiping. There's something special about that. The Bible makes no mystery about this. He says, do not neglect the meeting together. And then he goes on, uh, the Bible also says, when two or three are gathered in my name, which, you know, is referring to a church saying, I'm a Christian church. I bear the name of Jesus and I come together as a church and there God is with them. And it's interesting that God says that when my church gathers together, whatever they pray for in unity, that shall be done. There's that power about us coming together. God loves it when we are gathering together. And so my question for you is, how are you hosting God's presence when it comes to this? You know, yes, yes, the church is not just a building. This is in fact a school hall. There's nothing special about this hall. But what is special is when the church gathers. You know, the church, the word church is translated as ecclesia in the New Testament, a Greek word, which means that it's a gathering of people. It's a gathering of people. You cannot be a church by yourself unless you have multiple personalities. And then no one wants to go to that church anyway because you are crazy. But we have a whole bunch of people here gathering under God's name, and their God is. But how do, how do we treat this? Do you just wake up on a Sunday morning and think, you know what, I'm going to do my religious duty. Hopefully God will be happy with that. And then you drag your feet into church, and, and, and it's like, all right, let's get it over with. All right, we're seeing the same songs as we did last week. And we've got the same preacher again, and he's kind of like telling me all the stuff that I'm doing wrong. And... Is that your attitude when you come into church? When you come into a gathering of God's people? Do you truly value what is happening here? Is your mind switched on? Is this just, all right, going to holiday mode? You know, the world's making it a lot harder for us churches to do what we do. You've got sports, you've got work on the weekends. And there's so many other choices that you can have. 
You know, when we are a larger congregation, maybe we can have more options Saturday night, maybe midweek uh, meetings and all of that to help people find God. But while we don't, my question for you is, do you value this? Are you actually wanting to host God's presence? Are you actually wanting, desiring to know that God is here and that God is with me? Or are you just going through the motions? And when we sing songs of worship as a church, it is powerful. Do you know the, the first church building that was constructed back in the day by Solomon? They built this temple and it was at the completion of the temple that the people came together. And when they came together, they worshipped God through songs, through singing His praises. And when that happened, it said a cloud descended. Descended. The cloud always represents God's presence in the Bible. It descended and was so thick that all the singing stopped. Everything stopped. Everyone was on their knees and on their faces because God's presence was so thick and tangible. And there's this something in me that wonders whether what we do pleases God, shows that we are hosting God, being hospitable to God's presence? Or do we carry our mindset of what's in it for me? Are we willing to give this gift of singing God's praises, always still consumed with what's in it for me? I'm not trying to tell you off, but I'm trying to spark a conversation inside of you. And I've met so many people that they come to, I've been in Pentecostal churches for a while, and you know, we raise our hands, we clap our hands, we, we make whooping noises because it's, it's cool and that's what we do. But some people will be like, I'm, I'm a quiet type person. I'm a quiet person. And throughout the whole song set, they'll be doing this. It would just be staring. You know, for the poor guy up there, when he sees your face, <laughs> and if you think that human guy is hating on your face right now, how do you think God sees your face? You know, these songs are not about making you feel good. It's about articulating honor, worship, desire for God. You know, when we raise our hands, it's not because we put enough deodorant and we feel really confident about ourselves, it's about because we're saying, God, I'm surrendering to you and I'm desiring you. When you have a child running up to you with their hands up, do you go, why are you so strange? No, it's an invitation to come close. And in the same way, when we come to God with our hands up, it's a sign that, God, I want to come close. How do you host God's presence? During the week, and I had this moment where I was preparing for my message, and, and, I, and I felt God begin to speak to me, and, and, and I felt God say to me, it's like, why do you only come to me when you need me? Why do you only come into my presence when you got a, 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 a petition to make, a request to make? And, and it didn't feel like it was a condemnation because God began to show me that if I was to truly carry His presence 24-7, what my life could look like, what my life should look like. like well, but it starts with us understanding 
how to come into His presence and how to host God's presence. And quite often it's through worship. It's through songs of worship many times in my life that God has spoken into my very soul. It was in such a moment that I received words of what I was to do with my life. But some of you are too introverted to do that. Most of you don't believe me, but I am an introvert at heart. I don't like the showy stuff. I can't mosh with the young people anymore. It doesn't work. I jump for about five seconds and I'm puffed. I'm like, I can't even sing. I can't even focus on God. I'm trying to hold my breath properly. But I still recognize the need for me to come into God's presence and to give everything. Now, we're trying to finish off this portion of the experience a little bit earlier because we still got 15 minutes left. And I wanted us to have this moment of practicing worship and hosting God's presence. You know, stop considering the person to your left and to your right. Maybe for a moment, stop thinking about all the stuff that you need. And maybe start to just fix your mind on Jesus and looking to Him, say, God, there's nothing more that I would like than to know that you would choose to grace me with your presence. Before we talk about the things and the destiny and the calling and all of that stuff, why don't we spend today, the next 15 minutes, saying, God, above all, I want you. So why don't we stand this morning? The band's going to lead us into a couple of songs. Close your eyes, tune the person out, and just focus in on God. If you've never raised your hands before, maybe this is your moment to just release some of that self-consciousness. You know, the Bible actually says, raise your hands, lift your hands up, holy people, as a sign of worship to God. We're not just doing it because we like it. It's actually in the Bible. We sing songs because the Bible says, sing those songs. Sing a new song of praise to Him. It's what the Bible says. We're just coming back to what it means. So this morning, the band's going to lead us. And can I just encourage you? Why don't we host God's presence well this morning? Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.